Father, we're grateful uh, for this time together. Will you, as the psalmist has already spoken, will you open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We're grateful that you feed us through the pages of Scripture, uh, minister to our souls, encourage our spirits, empower our obedience, spur us on to love and good deeds as we look to your word word together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm out of the habit, so I'm going to make a little adjustment here and dismiss the kids to Children's Church, uh, kids ages three years old and potty trained, that's important, uh, through first grade. Uh, you can head over to the back and over to the side, and our, our loving, wonderful Children's Church leaders will uh, lead you guys next door, and parents, you can pick them up after the service. Well, let's come around God's Word um, Psalm 119. Um, can, I, can I just ask you a question as we come to this? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you struggling? Uh, you're in the right place this morning. You feel like you're going through the motions in Christianity, if you're lacking in spiritual fuel and motivation, if you feel like the day-to-day is just difficult. Um, I confess that, that several months ago I was in a season like that, and uh, so often I'll turn to the Psalms in times like that, and I found this Psalm. I've probably read this hundreds of times maybe over the years, and it's like, it's been here the whole time. Why did I miss this? Has that ever happened to you? So I, I stumbled upon this, and, and since then, this is like back in January, I've been reading this almost every day for the last year. I've read Psalm 119 in its entirety multiple times, and it has ministered to my soul. It has helped me so much. And, and, and here's, what, here's what was so profound about it. As we read uh, several larger sections in Psalm 119 just a moment ago, you understand that this psalmist was going through great difficulty, but he's thriving spiritually. And it's like, how do you do that? How do you thrive spiritually when things are difficult? I mean, you've you've read it. We looked at it. He loves the Word. He's in the Word. He's meditating on the Word. He's growing. He's thriving. And yet, if you read the whole thing, it wasn't because his life was great. I mean, just, just... just look back at the text with me. Listen to the challenge of this text. We don't know who, who wrote the psalm, of course, but, but we know this was a person going through great difficulty. In verse, sec, in verse 6, he tells us that he's feeling ashamed in his walk with God. In verse 10, it, it, he says he's struggled with wandering away from the faith. In 19, he says he feels like a stranger. Verse 21, he's, he's upset because others are wandering away. Verse 22 and and several other, he talks about dealing with reproach and the contempt of his enemies. Even in verse 23, he says, even the princes, leaders, are talking against him. In verse 25, he expresses depression, that he's weary and discouraged. In verse 25, he says he needs revival. In 28, he's been weeping because of grief. In 36, he's, he's tempted for dishonest gain, for, for using ungodly pursuits to get ahead. Multiple verses he talks about being inflicted. In 53, he talks about forsaking the law and and being angry about that. In 61, as we'll see, the cords of the wicked have encircled him. Verse 69, people are lying about him. Verses 84 and following, he's being persecuted and almost destroyed. In verse 85, the wicked are trying to trap him or get him into a snare. 
Verse 109, he's close to death. 121, he's being oppressed and oppressors surround him. In verse 123, he feels like his hope is failing. In 141, he's despised by people around him. In 136, he's weeping because of the disobedience of others. In 143, he says he's in trouble and anguish. And in 146, he needs to be saved from all these dangers. He's not on a holiday. He's not on vacation. He is in what sounds to me like some of the most difficult things in life. And yet, he thrives. Do you want to be like that? Man, I read, I was like, I need that. I want to be like that. What's the secret? What, what did this man know to thrive spiritually when days are difficult? And I bet that if we were to go around the gymnasium here, you, you probably are dealing with some difficulty as well. I don't know the nature of all of them, but you probably could say with me, there's some difficult things going on. And I've got good news. Based on the hope of this psalm, difficult days do not need to be depressing days. Difficult days, according to this psalm, can be days of your strongest spiritual health. These can be days of spiritual flourishing if we will heed the word of God. So what I want to do in our short time together is talk to you about eight pursuits to thrive in difficult days. Eight pursuits to spiritually thrive in difficult days. See, spiritual health is not measured by the absence of difficult circumstances. We see that, right? Spiritual health is measured by the active, consistent practice of leaning on God's grace and keeping His Word. Spiritual health is not measured by the absence of struggle, but by the active pursuit of God in His Word. And that's why this psalmist is thriving, and we want to learn how to do that as well. It's just eight stanzas. You know, this is an acrostic psalm. Uh, the, the reason each of those sections of the psalm are separated in your Bible is because each one of those stanzas follows a section of a different letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And in that stanza, each one of the verses starts with that letter. So the first eight verses start with A, the next eight verses start with B, and so on and so forth through the Hebrew alphabet. We're going to look today in verses 57 to 64. Um, that's the letter Heith. You've got to kind of get a little guttural sound there, right? It's not Heath, it's Heith, uh, uh, the letter in the alphabet there. So let's look together at the first pursuit that we discover here to thrive in difficult days. Okay, here's the first pursuit. You ready? Value the Lord as your most prized possession. Value the Lord as your most prized possession. Look with me at that very first verse, verse 57. The psalmist writes this. Actually, he's singing this. Remember, this is a song, right? So he's singing this. The Lord is my portion. And we go, what? What does that mean? The Lord is his per portion. And, and why is he so excited about that? Well, you'll remember if you've, if you've read your Old Testament that one of the promises that God gave the Israelites was some land. The promised land, we call it. And that land was divided up and allotted amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. So each tribe would inherit a piece of land. That was, the real estate is part of the deal. Except there was one family that wasn't going to get any land. Do you remember who those, those people were? 
the Levites, right? The, those were the tribes that were the, the tribe that were they're the priests of the Old Testament. So Aaron and then later on the Levites were not given a portion of the land. You say, why is that? That doesn't sound so fair. Well, you don't need to turn there, but just listen to what God tells the priests, the Levites, way back in the book of Numbers, chapter 18, verse 20. They say this, the Lord will be your portion. To the Levites, they didn't get land. God says, I'm your portion. I'm your inheritance. You say, okay, so what does that mean? If we go back to the text here, that idea of the Lord being our portion became somewhat of a, of a metaphor to the nation of Israel and to the people of God. The idea that God is the portion means that we have to rely on Him for our future security, for our future inheritance. It meant that those Levites, and by definition, the people of God today, have to rely on the Lord and His sufficiency. That makes sense, right? Because the land was the sustenance. That's where you grew your, your crops. That's where you got your food. So to rely on the Lord alone meant you're, you're having to rely on God for everything. You say, well, what does that have to do with our psalm? If we go back to the psalm, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my portion, what he means is that he has found that God alone is his security. God alone is his hope for the future. He says, the Lord is the most valuable possession that I have. God is everything to this psalm. It underlines that the Lord is sufficient. And if, and if you noticed it, as we read several stanzas of it a moment ago, that, that's one of the themes, not just of this psalm, but of the book of Psalms. I mean, just listen to some of these. Psalm 16 says this, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Psalm 73, The Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or Lamentations, Jeremiah, as he, as he walks through his depression and finds hope and encouragement on the other side of his depression, you say, what brought him out of his depression? He says this in Lamentations 3, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope with him. What these psalmists and prophets are saying is all the same thing. That if I have God as my inheritance, if He is my sufficiency, if He is my security, if He is the one I'm looking to for hope and trust and provision, all will be well. God is the most precious possession we can possibly have in this life and that's why guys that's why the psalmist can have all this stuff going on and he's okay because no enemy no situation no circumstance no difficulty no trial can never take the lord away from the child of god and so we value that relationship we we value the lord himself as our most prized possession and that listen to me that is the foundation of well-being and spiritual thriving in difficult days that the lord is our portion that he is our security that he is our all in all now i've got really good news for you do you know how you can can come to possess god as your portion do you know how you, you don't come into the world possessing God? That's the bad news. In fact, you come into the world alienated from God. 
But the good news is that God has sent his son, the person of Jesus, to live and die and rise again. And all of that, the the, the gospel, Reformation Sunday, what we're talking about today is God's plan to bring you into relationship with him so that you too can say, the Lord is mine. He's my portion. He's my life. He's my security. He's my hope. He's my inheritance. And we can only come to have God, to possess God like that through the person and work of Jesus. That's the gospel. To to trust in Jesus alone so that we can be reconciled to God and thus have this stable, sure-footed foundation underneath us that says, though every difficulty arise, I am standing on the fact that no one can take away my God from me. That's the foundation of his hope. That's the foundation of his spiritual thriving. And that's the good news. As you trust in Christ, God will become your portion. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to remind you, you have God. What else do we need? But you know, like you and I, our psalmist, sometimes things compete with God, don't they? Can I just ask you a question? Is it possible that part of the struggle you're having in your difficulty right now, you're not spiritually flourishing, you know God is the inheritance, but maybe you're valuing something else more than you're valuing God Himself. And I don't know how it works in your life, when I'm struggling spiritually, when I find myself in difficulty and I'm not flourishing and there's difficulty, one of the things I've found to be true, sadly in my life, is there's something else I'm valuing more than God himself. So this is a good time just to pull the car over and ask ourselves the question, is there something I'm valuing more than God that's undermining my spiritual health? Because spiritual thriving begins when we value God through the person of Jesus before everything else. And it's when we look to Him, rely on Him, trust Him, and depend on Him for our present well-being and our future security that we begin to thrive. So we start there. Okay? Number one, value the Lord as your most prized possession. I think that's the most important point in all eight, so just, you know, highlight that one, because that's the foundation. Okay? We start with valuing the Lord. Let's look at our second pursuit for spiritual thriving in difficult days. It gets into the second half of that, that verse there. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your word. Here's commitment number two, pursuit number two. Make a commitment to obey His word. Make a commitment to obey His word. Now, I, I want to I run this by you real quick. Have you noticed when we value something, we begin to desire it? Right? I, I taught, and, and I, well, you, you, can, you can test theories of humanity on college football and learn all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I talked to my expert yesterday on college football. That's Wyatt Wallace. He's home. He had surgery Friday on his feet. He's doing well. And I called him up yesterday and I said, what, what's the best game? What's the best game of the day? And he told me what he thought the best game of the day was. And, and you know, the Aggies, of course, were on a bye week, right? So that ordinarily would have been the best game of the day. But anyway, you know, if, if you're an Aggie, if you value Texas A&M University, that, I know, I know, it's really hard to be self-controlled, but thank you for doing that. Uh, if you value 
A&M football, Aggies, you are going to want to watch them. You're going to want to buy apparel. You are going to want to go to games. You are going to want to dress all of your kids up for Halloween in Aggie apparel, right? That's what you're going to do. Because what we value leads to desire, leads to what we're wanting. And did you see that that's exactly what this psalm just did? Because we value God above all else, what's our greatest desire? To obey Him in everything. What we value leads to what we desire. And that's what's going on here. As we value God above everything else, our desire is going to be to follow Him. Valuing God will lead to desiring to honor Him and please Him in everything else. And that's what leads to our psalmist saying that this resolution, I have promised to keep your word. Now, you've probably noticed that this psalm Uh, one of the themes, not just of this stanza, but the whole psalm is about keeping God's word. It's repeated three times in this particular psalm and over a dozen times in all of Psalm 119. One of the themes is that we would keep God's word. We would obey God's word. Right here in verse 57, he mentions the commitment to keep God's word. In verses 59 to 60, he's going to give us the course we need to take if we're going to keep God's word. And in verse 63, he's going to tell us the community we need to be in we're going to keep God's word. So, so there's all sorts of things going on about keeping God's word. But, but hear me. You start a life of obedience to God, not by accident, but by resolving to keep God's word. And that's what the second pursuit is about, a resolution to keep his word. And, and can I tell you, just very honestly, this was one of the lines in the psalm way back in January when I was rediscovering this. This was one of the lines that really struck me. I mean, it just, it just hit me like a spiritual two-by-four in my forehead. Because I thought, am I this resolved? Do I get up in the morning with this commitment in my mind, I'm going to keep God's word today. That's my goal. I'm going to honor Him in everything that I do. I'm going to try to glorify Him with all of my life. And I, just, I was just convicted by that because I thought, I've become too casual. I've become way too casual. And maybe you have as well. Half-hearted obedience. Maybe it's because we're afraid of being legalists, you know, being accused of legalism, okay? Can I just tell you this? It is not legalistic to say, I'm making a commitment to follow God today. That's not legalistic. It is not legalistic to say, I'm going to commit as God would help me to follow His instructions today. That, that is the cry of a committed believer. And the reality is, You and I, listen, you and I will not fall into obedience. We do not accidentally keep the law of God, right? We we sin, right? That's what we, we we sin easily. We we sin accidentally. We do not fall into obedience. We don't, we never keep the law of God by accident. We only keep God's word by intention. So if you want to thrive, if we want to follow our psalmist's instructions here, if we're going to thrive spiritually, we need to commit or maybe recommit to this goal to, to resolve to follow and keep and obey God's Word. That is the second pursuit. Make a commitment to obey His Word. And on the heels of that, look at number three. Seek His grace with all your heart. Seek His grace with all your heart. Verse 58. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. Now this is really important. Why is the psalmist 
resolution to keep God's word, not an exercise in failure. He just said in the last verse, I'm resolving to keep your word. Why is that not destined to fail? Why, why can he say that and think, you know what? There's, there's really a possibility that I'm going to do this. Listen to me. Because his commitment to obey God is coupled with an ongoing dependence on God's grace. That's why. So we commit to obey God, but we look to God's grace to empower us and give us the ability to do that. This is not go out and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps theology. This is, Lord, I resolve to honor you today. I resolve to obey you today because you are my most valuable possession and I want to please you in everything. And yet I know that I cannot follow you. I cannot please you. I cannot obey you unless you give me the grace to do it. So this is resolution number three. Seek his grace with all your heart. Believers need to have a heart that is resolved and sold out and fully committed to obey the word of God. But that resolution must be joined with an equal commitment to lean on the grace of God if they will be successful. Look back at the text. He says, I sought your favor. Literally, I sought your face. He's seeking God's presence. He's seeking God's help. And this is not some half-hearted you know, I sort of need God today. It's like half Jesus and half me. No, he says, I need God's grace. I need to seek him with all my heart if this is going to be successful. So we trust him. We depend on him. We plead for grace. We request his grace and pray that he'll work. Now, now notice, notice this. Look back at the text. He says, I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me. What's the next line? According to your word. That is so important that we see that. The psalmist is not saying something wishful. Like, I hope God helps me today. I sure hope God comes through with me today. No, he says, I seek your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me. Why? According to your word. You say, what does that mean? He is depending on the fact that God's word has promised that God will give grace and mercy to help when we come to Him. Is that not a great promise? He's depending on God's grace, and His Word tells Him, whenever you go to God, whenever I go to God, God has promised to give us the grace and mercy we need to get through the difficulty, to follow Him in obedience, whatever the situation. Uh, uh, The New Testament talks about this in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus says, if you come to me, In your temptation, in your weakness, Jesus says, I'm going to be sympathetic to your weaknesses. I'm going to be mindful of your struggles. And if you come to me, you can come to me boldly to the throne of grace. Why boldness? Because God promised to dispense grace and mercy to help in that time of need. Here's what I'm saying. When you and I go to God, we don't have to question whether or not God is going to supply what we need. He promises to give us grace and mercy to help. So his resolution to obey is coupled with a leaning on God's sufficient grace. And it's that formula that then allows him to spiritually thrive. God will always provide the grace that we need. And listen to me, we will only thrive spiritually insofar as we depend on his grace to do so. That's the point to be made. 
Okay, we got eight of these to get to get through, guys. So we got to keep moving. But uh, okay, we're we're gonna value God as our as our most precious possession, right? We're gonna resolve to obey God in His Word. We're gonna seek His grace with all our heart. What's the fourth pursuit? To to strive spiritually, to grow in maturity, even though days are difficult. Look at number four. Um, Oh, look at that. We're going to examine your life and quickly adjust it to keep his word. I was supposed to be able to give you those one at a time, so don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me, okay? Um, examine your life and quickly adjust it to keep your word. Okay, look at, look at the next couple of verses here, verse 59 and following. I love that. This, this, this will change your life, guys. Listen closely. Verse 59. I considered my ways... Don't write those down yet. Just listen to me, okay? I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Okay? It just, I'll, I'll give you time to write in a minute. I, just, I, just, I, want, I want to show you this first and then I'll give you the outline, okay? Or you can take a picture of it. That works too. Okay. All right. The psalmist has told us, remember back in verse 10, the psalmist says he's afraid of wandering. He sees as difficulty comes that he's prone to water, as the hymn says, right? We're, we're prone to wander. And, and he's, he's like, what's the remedy for that? So, so here's his remedy. I considered my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and I did not delay to keep your commandments. The key to not wandering, the key to not remedying, uh, 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 wandering away from the commandments of God, the things of God, is to prize Him, commit to obey, seek His grace, and here we need to engage in a process. Engage in a process. Notice the process, and we can, we can call this the, the four-stroke cycle of the believer's spiritual engine. Can we do that? The four-stroke cycle of the believer's spiritual engine. Notice the process. Step number one, now you can start filling in, okay? I know you're ahead of me. Step number one, examination. Am I regularly thinking about how I live? That's what he says there. I considered my ways. So let me ask you this question. Are you considering your ways? Am I considering my ways? We are not going to thrive spiritually if we are unmindful of how we're responding to life. The psalmist says the first stroke of your spiritual engine is to examine yourself. Think about how you're living. Think about how you're responding. Think about how you're talking to your kids. Think about how you're reacting at the office. Whatever it is, examine your life. Then secondly is education. He says here, I turn my feet where? Look at the the passage. I turn my feet to your testimonies. That means you've got to know the Bible. You've got to know what God's word is. You can examine your life, but if you don't know what the Bible says, you don't know the direction you need to go. You don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of how you're responding. So examine your life. Am I regularly thinking about how I live? Stroke number two, education. Do I know God's word well enough to know how I should live? You say, Keith, is this the message that you're trying to tell us to read your Bible more? Yes, it is. Because if you don't know your Bible, you can examine your life all your ways and you can't find the spiritual road. 
You don't know where you're supposed to be going. You don't know what what it's supposed to look like. So we've got to educate ourselves in the things of God. Examination, education. Look at the third stroke, correction. I I love the metaphor here. Listen, do I steer my life back into alignment with God's word? Do I steer my life back into alignment with God's word? He says, I considered my ways and then I turned my feet to your testimonies. You got it? You know, you're just, you're just going through life. You know, you're going and you're like, huh, maybe I should think about where I'm going. Ah, I'm going the wrong way. And you steer and you correct and you get back on track. And what the psalmist is saying is, you ready? This is not something you do like annually. This is not something you do once a month. This is not something you do once a week, as great as that would be. This is something you do constantly. You examine, you educate, you correct. And then this this is worth the price of admission right here, guys. This is so profound. Look what he says. Speedy application. Speedy application application. He says, I turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and I did not delay to keep your commandments. So you'll remember it like this. Don't delay to obey. Don't delay to obey. We used to tell our kids, just like you tell your kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. Have you, have you noticed this? This is really, really profound. I'm serious. This is life-changing. When you're being tempted to sin, or you immediately find that you've already fallen into sin, the longer you wait, the harder it is to get out. If you're being tempted by something, the longer you play around with that temptation, the stronger the temptation gets. The longer you sit there and stare, the stronger the strength of that pull to sin is going to get in your life, and the harder it's going to be to correct And God loves us enough to say, hey, examine, educate, correct, and do it quickly. Because the longer you linger there, the harder it's going to be to get back on the road. The harder it's going to be to obey. So just think about this. Let's say you and the spouse are having an argument. And that little voice called your conscience, somewhere in the back of your head, as you're expressing your opinion in an angry and heated way, says... Maybe this isn't the best way to handle it. That's when you stop and you correct. You don't go on for another 30 minutes. You stop and you correct. You don't delay to obey. When you're sitting on your computer and something pops up that you know doesn't honor God, don't deliberate. Correct. Don't sit there and think about it. Correct. Close the window. Go to a different page. Throw your computer on the ground. Whatever you need to do, but don't delay to obey. Because the longer you sit there, the stronger the temptation arises and the harder it's going to be to say no. Do you see this? Do you see why we're struggling? Because that's exactly what we do. We sit there and go, huh, maybe I shouldn't do that. And the the longer we sit there, the stronger that temptation arises grows when you're discouraged when something happens in your life and all of a sudden a lie about god pops into your mind maybe god doesn't care 
Maybe God doesn't know about my situation. Maybe he's not going to provide for my need. As soon as that lie pops in, don't sit there and exegete the lie. Repent and correct and turn back. Don't delay to obey. I was, <laughs> I was driving to College Station yesterday, not because there was a football game. Uh, really early in the morning, I was driving to College Station, and uh, I don't know what the other driver in front of me was doing. You know, Highway 6, right? And there's places on 6 where you can go like, it's like 75 miles an hour, it's pretty fast. And I don't know what this guy in front of me was doing or what he was on or whatever, but this guy is all over the road, you know? And, and, and he'd be over in the median, doom, 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 hitting the rumble strips, right? And, and then, okay, kind of, and then he's over the yellow line and then he's on camera and he's steer back and all that. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm preaching this passage today, right? So I'm sitting there watching this guy going, this is a great illustration. <laughs> Do not wait for the rumble strips to alert you that you need to get back on the road. See, you know this. When you're driving, if you're watching the road, if you're paying attention, you don't need those rumble strips, do you? Because you're paying attention. You're examining your life as you drive down the car. You're making little corrections so you don't need the rumble strips. You don't need the yellow line. You're there. That's the picture here. Do not wait for the rumble strips of your life to kick in before you correct. Or worse, don't sustain a head-on collision, spiritually speaking. Before you get back on the road, let, let, let's, let's learn this process of examination, education, correction, and speedy application. Let's be hasty obedience believers and keep the car on the road. That's pursuit number four. Number five, don't forget his word when the pressures increase. Don't forget his word when the pressures increase. Look at 61. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. You say, what are the cords of the wicked? The the cords of the wicked here probably refer to the traps or snares that these enemies that are surrounding our psalmist here, that the traps or snares that they're setting for him, efforts to trap him, efforts to uh, afflict him. And, And this is what's remarkable about this verse. As danger increases, as pressures arise, our psalmist is careful to not forget God's law. See, I confess, and maybe you see this as well, as the pressures of life increase, as things get more difficult, as challenges of life grow, what often happens? Have you noticed this? We often become less mindful of the things of God. We, we often become less thoughtful of the things of God. When we, we, we get this sort of spiritual dementia. And it's like we don't remember things. We're not, things that ordinarily we would know. And when pressure increases, when stress increases, we get a sort of situational atheism. Have you ever experienced that? You know what situational atheism is? It's when in the moment of difficulty, you act like an unbeliever. I act like an unbeliever. And the psalmist is saying, let me help you with this. When pressure increases, when stress comes, when difficulty arises, that is when you bolt down and double your effort to remember the instructions of God and not forget them. Because we have to do that in moments where things are difficult. We need to be proactive to remember the things of God. We need to be intentional to keep God's word in front of us and in our minds when things get difficult. You know a great practical way to do that? When you're having a really hard day, really stressful, whatever, uh, just fill in the blank. When I feel like that, this is my go-to. 
Maybe it's a favorite beverage. Maybe it's a favorite shopping place. Maybe it's a favorite social media site. Maybe, right? maybe it's a friend. What, what, what if on our stressful days we turn to God first and not last? What if in a trial and difficulty we turn to God and not Google? We have to do things to intentionally remember His Word. Don't forget His Word when pressures increase. That's number five. Look at number six. This will change your life too, I'm telling you. This will change your life. Intentionally practice thankfulness to God. Intentionally practice thankfulness to God. And I'm going to add this even at really odd times. Look at verse 62. At midnight... What? (laughs) Do you read that and go, why midnight? At midnight I shall arise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. Intentionally practice thankfulness to God even at odd times. A thankful believer is a healthy believer. Isn't that true? A thankful Christian is a happy Christian. So we ask, do we want to thrive spiritually? What's he telling us? He's saying, I am pursuing intentional thankfulness to God all the time. If we want to thrive, we, we need to do that. We need to practice thankfulness to God. But, but, but notice, notice this. Practicing thankfulness in your situation is not just about finding the silver lining in, in the dark cloud. Okay, that's not what he means. Again, look back at the text. He says, at midnight I shall arise to give thanks to you. What's the next word? What's the next word? Because. See, he's not saying, oh, I just hope everything's going to be great. I'll just be thankful to nothing. You know, we're going to celebrate that holiday next month where people are thankful to nothing and to nobody. Thankfulness always has a reason and it always has a recipient, doesn't it? We're thankful to God. Why? Because we just hope things will work out? No, because His Word tells us. His Word tells us that it's going to be okay. His Word tells us things that we can be thankful for. He says, I will give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. See, the the source of His thankfulness is the Word of God. How might the Word of God bring thankfulness when you're going through difficult times? Just think with me about this. How can going to the Bible bring us to be thankful when things are difficult? Well, how about this? When I go to the Bible, I learn about the character of God. And that reminds me of His mercy, His goodness, His care. When I go to the Bible, I learn about the wisdom of God, which gives me direction and counsel when I don't know what to do. When I go to the Bible, it reveals the songs of God so I can sing about God and sing about His promises and it, it stirs my soul to thankfulness. I turn to God and it reveals the promises of God that I cling to and that we hope in for help in our situation. And we turn to God. Most importantly, the Bible reveals the Son of God. It reveals Jesus, our Savior, our Helper, our Friend, our Great High Priest. And as we turn to Him, we say, Man, I've got so many reasons to be thankful. Because He's walking with me in my affliction. He's supplying for my needs. He's giving me direction and hope. He's praying for me right now. And so we find thankfulness as we turn to God's Word and therefore we can find 
uh, intentional ways to practice thankfulness. Now, here's the quiz question for the morning. Why does he say at midnight I get up to do this? Why does he do that? I mean, I mean, it, it could be, you know, uh, and, and for, for godly Jewish people in the Old Testament, they had prescribed times a day that they would pray. You remember Daniel and, and some others we see modeling that. So it could be this was, he just said, you know what, midnight's going to be one of my times. Maybe he was a night owl. I don't know. But probably, as we read the psalm, that's probably not it. As we read about difficulty and affliction and enemies and trouble with people, just like you, he's probably having a sleepless night, isn't he? And he's sitting in his bed, and all these things are going on in his head, and he's wondering, and he's being tempted to fret, and he stops, and he says, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to thank God right now. And that proactive getting up and thanking God is what solves the problem of the difficulty in his soul. So we are to be thankful to God. Intentionally practice thankful to God, notice the parenthesis, even at odd times. It is always the right time to be thankful to God. Number seven, center yourself in godly community. Center yourself in godly community. What are we doing? We're trying to to discover pursuits to thrive spiritually in difficult days. We've seen a whole bunch of them. Here's number seven. Center yourself in godly community. This is really, really profound too. Look at verse 63. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. In this COVID-19 era, we have all learned how important Christian community is, haven't we? We have learned that our spiritual health depends a great deal upon being together in community. And do you know that um, that's been in the Bible all along? That's exactly what our psalmist is saying here. He's saying what will help us to follow God, to keep his word in difficult times, answer community. It's this. It's what we're going to do after the service. You're going to be over there. You're going to be talking to your friends, talking about life, sharing God's word. It's home groups that are going to meet this week. It's Awana. It, it's when you call your friend up this week and say, hey, I, I prayed for that surgery. How's your son doing or how's your wife doing? Right? It's, it's Christian community. And being in community is what puts us in a place where we thrive spiritually rather than regress because of the difficulties of life. You guys know that in the life of the believer, lone rangers are dead rangers. Right? There's no such thing as lone ranger Christianity. There is a community, there is a body. There is a church, and spiritual health depends on that. So can I just ask you, what community are you intentionally keeping? You know, that's a hard question to answer in our day because we have digital relationships, don't we? You know, you got social media, you got people all over the world, you got blogs, podcasts, you got all this stuff around you, and you know what? Don't mistake, that's community. Fox News is community. Facebook is community. Social media is community. And when we indulge in the wrong type of community, guess what happens to our spiritual flourishing and growth? It's stifled. It's inhibited. Or even worse, we start going the wrong way. We're not valuing God. We're valuing all these other things. 
We're not turning to God. We're turning to all these other things. We, guys, we need to be a church. We need to be in a community that reminds one another hope is here. Help is here. Jesus and His Word are the answers that we need. And to sing that and encourage that and, and instruct one another in that, community is the key here to spiritual health. What, and, and if you're floundering your this is, I don't mean to get too personal, but if you're floundering in your walk with God, ask yourself this honest question. What sort of company am I actually keeping? Digital or otherwise? And I bet, I bet that there's room for growth there in terms of the community. The psalmist says, surround yourself with people that fear the Lord and want to keep His commandments. They actually keep His commandments. It's interesting, the Proverbs actually say we become like the community we keep. That's sobering, isn't it? We become like the community that we keep. So let's center ourselves in godly community. Center ourselves in godly community. Last one, number eight. Final pursuit of spiritual thriving in difficult days. How do we do that? Look at this one. This one's a little longer, but you'll get it. Actively learn more of His Word as you look for evidences of His faithful kindness. Actively learn more of His Word as you look for evidences of His faithful kindness. Look with me at the last verse of our stanza, verse 64. He says, The earth is full of... Of your loving kindness, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And we go, huh, what does that mean? What does it mean that the earth is full of your loving kindness? What does that mean? This is that word chesed, right? This is faithful, loyal kindness and love. This is one of those key loaded theological words in the Old Testament describing God's character. He's always faithful to give grace. He's always loyal in the kindness that he dispenses. And our psalm concludes here. And so we go, why why would he say the whole earth is full of God's loving kindness? This, This is so insightful. Here's what he's saying. What happens to us in difficult days is we put our focus in the wrong place. We put all of our focus where? When when, when stuff's going on, where do we put all our focus? On the problem. On the difficulty. And here's what what the psalmist says. Again, this will change your life. He says, look up. Look around. Do you see that the whole earth is filled with God's kindness? Do you see that there are innumerable examples of His grace, of His mercy, of His faithfulness, of, of, his, of his loyal love? And, and guys, it, that can be as simple as those beautiful fall sunsets we've been having recently. God paints the sky to say, look, I'm good. I love you. There's grace. It can be as simple as as a beautiful sunset. It can be as profound as someone this morning told me they have a new grandbaby. And we rejoice in that mercy, rejoice in that love and provision. God's grace is all around us. And we, we get this sort of myopic spiritual disorder where we're just looking at our problem and looking. And God says, look up, look around, see my grace. You ready for this? The sun came up again this morning. We have oxygen in our planet. We, we, we have provision. We have, we have relationships. We have so much. 
And God says, put your focus on all of those other graces and you'll start to thrive spiritually. Don't focus too much on the problem. He says, set your gaze beyond the immediate situation. God is loyal and faithful. His grace and mercy showers on his whole creation every day. So when you and I are tempted to look around and say, what's the use? You know, bing, Apple News. Oh, more depressing things. Great. Right? One more difficulty, one more challenge, one more diagnosis, whatever it is. God says, look up, look around, see my grace, see my mercy. God has not abandoned us. He's not left the scene. He's working. And every day he gives us hundreds of examples of his loyal kindness and grace. And we need to see that and identify it and thank him for it. And that will motivate us then. What does it say here? As we do that, he says what? Teach me more of your statutes. We're right back where we started. We grow and thrive spiritually in difficult days by continuing to come back to the Word of God and to meditate on it and to follow Him in it. And the reality is, guys, the more we know His Word, the more we will see His hand all over our life. And that's how you thrive. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these brief reminders that you are for us, that you are with us, that you give us what we need, even in great difficulty, to thrive spiritually as we prize you and pursue you and desire to keep your word. Father, help us to take these, this little section of Scripture and realize the roadmap to Christian flourishing that it really outlines for us. And might it become a source of great help of great growth and great encouragement, even, Father, that we might say that some of our most difficult days were days that we grew and got to know you the best. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us without provision in difficulty, that Jesus prays for us, that you provide grace and mercy to help. Help us to see that and be encouraged by that and to walk with you in these uncertain days that we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.